So today I want to talk about risk, uh, the risk management aspect, and kind of relate it to where we are now and what different types of investments, uh, you could say strategies, you should follow based on the risk that you have and you know how however much risk you can afford to take and so here's the thing with risk a lot of the time uh the most money you make is from your riskiest bets now they're also the best way for you to lose money and 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 if you take a risky bet you have a bigger upside and a bigger downside and so when you're in a risky environment, you want to be able to manage your risk. You want to be able to hedge against loss. And here's a big thing that a lot of people are missing today. You know, today the equity markets are, again, probably all-time highs and valuations are all-time highs. So, so investors are very optimistic for the future and, and and that's a very risky move to make you know especially when you're seeing all of these tech companies that have negative earnings or no earnings at all a lot of them don't even have a single sale you know they don't even have a single dollar worth of revenue and to predict the future earnings of these companies is very difficult the only way you could do it is by looking at what they are like now and what you think they will do in the future. And what you don't have is a look of the country uh, of the company's history. And looking at the company's historical performance is one of the most important things you have to look at in a company for determining its future performance. And a lot of people kind of are forgetting that, especially when they're jumping into all of these overpriced IPOs and all of these companies that are not making any money and they expect these companies to make money in the future or they just expect them to go up because they think other people will pour into these overvalued companies. And so far, I mean, I guess it's worked. And so a lot of these people are, are making very risky bets and they've gotten it right. So, I mean, if you, if you bought something like Tesla, like an EV company or whatever EV company you want to you wanna look at. Now, if you bought Tesla at r around 300, um, that was a very risky period because Tesla was going uh, very close to bankruptcy. I think Elon Musk said... You know, Tesla was like two, three weeks away from bankruptcy. So if you bought at that time, you would be making a very, very risky decision. Because, I mean, your, your, your $300 investment times how many ever shares you bought of it could go to zero. And, I mean, of course, you don't have the benefit of foresight to, to see that Tesla would go to, go to 800 and so the question is, should you buy into it? And I mean, unless if you understand the company well enough, I mean, even if you do understand the company well enough, 
you have to bet that you're right. And the chances of you being right is not, I mean, it's, it's unpredictable. It's not always higher than the chances of you being wrong, and it's, all, it's not always lower. And uh, when you're in a market that is overvalued, uh, like we are in today, at least most people would argue that our, our, the market we're in today is somewhat overvalued. I think it is quite overvalued. And historically, a, a good way to hedge against overvalued markets has been, has been cash or bonds. Now, the problem with cash or bonds is that right now the bond market is, is I mean, it's quite expensive as well. Now, you could argue that maybe the bond market could go become more expensive and not because the free market necessarily thinks it should go more expensive, but because of, you know, central planning, of because of monetary policy. So it's certainly possible that the the stock market or the bond market could both go up because of... Uh, the decisions from policymakers. But if you're looking at the companies or bonds from a fundamental perspective, from the perspective of earnings, from the perspective of yields, then you would find both to be quite overvalued. And so they're quite risky to pour, to pour your money into because you have lower upside and higher downside because when what you buy is overvalued there's a much higher chance of it going down than going up at least if you wait it out for a while and i mean i guess bitcoin is a good example but bitcoin's a you know bitcoin it's it's hard to say you know, I think Bitcoin is, I think it's a bubble, but it's hard to say that, you know, whether it's overvalued or not at, you know, 50,000. Because if you think that Bitcoin is overvalued at 50,000, you also think it's overvalued at 1,000 and 500 and 200. And I mean, any price for Bitcoin seems to be overvalued. But at the same time, I mean, the price is, is going up and up. And it's hard to measure the risk of Bitcoin because at any price, you get risk. I guess, I guess for Bitcoin, I think the, the biggest risk comes from uh, people losing trust in Bitcoin or, uh, let's say, governments trying to ban Bitcoin. I guess those are, are some of the biggest risks that you could have with Bitcoin. Or if you just have, you know, the governments just go back to the gold standard or something, that would be catastrophic for Bitcoin. And so, uh, and see, see, the important way to manage your risk is, a lot of people will say it's diversification. And I think to a certain point, or to a certain extent, it's, you know, diversification acts as a great way to hedge against risk, especially if you look at it from a 
purely mathematical standpoint, it's a wonderful way to hedge against risk. But when you look at it from a, a qualitative standpoint, it's hard to say. Now, I think a certain level of diversification is great. Maybe owning you know, 10 different stocks, um, I think that would be great. But if you're going to own 50, 100, 200 stocks, it, you're basically indexing. You're, I mean, unless if you're betting on a whole industry, you're basically indexing because there's no way you could find 200 good, undervalued stocks that you think will have great future growth. And if you really think that, you know, there is a single or two or three of these companies that have great, great, great future prospects, you should put a lot of money into them. Now, maybe you could have kind of side, you know, you can have smaller investments that take up a smaller portion of your portfolio. And I mean, that would make sense, but I don't think you should buy poor stocks or stocks that are, you know, that are not as good as the better ones simply for the sake of diversifying. Because it doesn't make sense to crowd bad companies into good companies, you know, a basket of good companies. Now, if if, if you're worried against, uh, you're worried that some of the good companies you bought might fail, might go bankrupt or something, then I guess you could own a few, like own five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, but. Owning a few hundred, you're not going to be picking the good companies. You're going to pick some good companies and some bad companies. And the growth of the good companies and the bad companies will you know, balance out to producing average returns. Or maybe you know, slightly above average if you're uh, picking the, the good ones, the better stocks out of the whole market and maybe more above average if you're kind of timing the cycles correctly and getting into right sectors during the right times and I mean I guess that could work but simply going into many 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 companies just for the sake of diversifying and not for the sake of trying to find good companies and diversifying that way, it doesn't seem like a very good idea. Because, again, you're kind of just indexing. You might as well just buy an index fund and, and, and do that if you think that buying a few hundred or even you know above 20 companies is, is a great idea. Because I, I doubt you'll be able to find that many good companies. And if you find 20 great companies that you think are all equally good and are just wonderful companies and great. I mean, you could you could diversify into 20 companies. And I think diversification is more important as you manage more money because, you know, your opportunities kind of shrink. And the bigger you get, the harder it is to uh, produce 
above average returns because you just have so much capital that you can't put into smaller companies because even if the small you know even if you put uh, money into a small company and let's say you put in a million dollars and you make 10x and now you have 10 million dollars if you're managing 10 billion dollars I mean, you made a $9 million gain. So what? It doesn't do anything to you. And because you put, a, you put such a small sum of money in, you didn't have much risk with it either. Or your, you know, your risk was losing a $1 million. And that wouldn't be very costly to you either. In the grand scheme of things, since you're managing $10 billion. But the more money you manage, I think the more diversification is important. And, you know, using diversification to hedge against, let's say, bear markets, I feel like that could make sense. But at the same time, I think there are better ways to, to do it. And, and I think the best way to hedge against the bear market is to, you know, when the just let's say you're investing in the stock market and let's say the stock market becomes very overvalued like it is today. Well, I think a, a good way to protect against that is you jump into good companies uh, that are undervalued in good sectors that are undervalued and the companies should have low debt so that they don't go bankrupt because of a recession. And they should, you know, you should expect them to have good future earnings. And that seems like the best way to hedge against risk from a recession. Now, before, you know, when you see that markets are very overvalued like they are today, you could also go into bonds. Uh, and that explains the yield curve which is basically when long-term bonds yield less than short-term bonds. And so you get an inverse yield curve, uh, whereas normally short-term bonds have a lower yield than long-term because uh, there's more risk in holding a long-term bond. And you could also go into cash, which is what Warren Buffett loves to do. He's got you know, hundreds of billion dollars worth of cash right now. And, I mean, he couldn't really buy the dip back in March because it was such a quick, quick, I mean, it was, it's like a flat V almost. Like, a, it was such a, it was such a quick recession. And uh, the, just, the market recovered so quickly. So for, for big, big investors, it's, hard for them to catch the opportunity, especially because they have to go through a very different way of buying uh, and selling than we do as, as just normal investors uh, with a quite limited amount of capital. And the, 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 the upside of having cash and bonds is that you're hedged against um, a re recession, a depression, whatever. Now, the downside is you're not hedged against inflation and you're not hedged against the, you know, counterparty risk of default. And, you know, if you're in the 1970s, 
you try to hedge against a stock market crash by going into cash or bonds, you still lost money. And you probably lost as much money because there was stagflation. And so the stocks were doing poorly and your cash and bonds were doing poorly as well. So you have to, if you're going to go into cash or bonds, you have to, you know, you have to be confident that the currency that you're holding, whatever whatever cash or bond uh, that you're holding is not denominated in a currency that you think will be devalued. And if you think that your currency will go down, well, then holding a cash or a bond doesn't make much sense. And with a bond, you also have to be careful because you don't want interest rates to rise after you hold the bond because then you lose money on your bond. And, you know, the reason for that is because, you know, as interest rates rise, you have a better alternative. You're holding a 2%, let's say you're holding a 2% yielding bond and the interest rate on your bond goes to 4%. Well, now you're still making 2% when someone could just enter the market and make 4%. So you're basically losing value on your bond. And right now, we're in an environment where bonds are expensive and stocks are expensive. You could argue that real estate is quite expensive. And in many cities, it is very, very expensive. Uh, in some cities, it's in some states, it's less overvalued. In some states, it's more overvalued. Um, but overall, it seems to be less overvalued than the stocks uh, or bond sector. Uh, and and you could go into commodities, and it seems like commodities could do well in the in the next uh, few years. At least I I see that they could do quite well. But I I don't like going into physical commodities as much as I do like going into you know maybe ETFs or uh, the the individual companies that maybe produce or distribute commodities because you know having the physical commodities it's it's not very easy to store and there's a bunch of additional costs that come with the physical commodities but you know unless if you believe that doomsday is coming and the whole country's ending i mean i don't think you should own too much physical uh Commodities, but I mean, if you do believe that we're gonna go into World War Three and zombie apocalypse or whatever, you could, you could, I mean, you could store up bars of gold if you want, and that would head, hedge against uh, uh, the risk of a, you know, a total collapse of civilization, I, I guess. But um, usually, commodities don't hedge against the uh, crash in asset prices like like stocks. They usually don't hedge against recessions too well, but usually they will start to shine after a recession because usually after a recession, at least recently after a recession, we get you know a ton of, um, I'll say money printing and we get a ton of 
you know, bailouts and, and, and help from the government and, and, and from central banks. And we get just lowered interest rates. And so those are always good for commodities and natural resources. And I also want to go into some of the types of investors we have. And, uh, you know, right now I, I, I see a, a few types of investors based um, off of risk tolerance. And you have the older investors, the ones who can't risk as much money. These guys are the guys going into index funds, ETFs, going into the Dow Jones, you know, buying these big blue chip stocks that are better valued uh, with very, very, very little chance of going bankrupt. And I mean, these, these companies are certainly less exciting than the, than the tech stocks and then the, uh, than the cryptos. But these are the companies that will generate decent dividends, uh, you know, have d decent valuations. Now, they probably won't have tremendous growth over the years, but they most likely won't die out. And they're, they're very safe. They're not very volatile. And you have a lot of them that produce or uh, sell consumer goods. So, you know, like Walmart. And so stuff like this, it's a really safe bet. And, you know, you, you get a dividend holding these companies anyways. And so they, they have pretty slow growth. We also have the type of investors that are very common today. Uh, the guys who are full on for risk, going into all these options, um, buying Tesla calls at $800, <laughs> buying GameStop, buying AMC, buying just the craziest companies you could buy for the highest prices, going into you know all these cryptos, thinking it will go to the moon. And I'm not saying it can't go higher. You know, something like Bitcoin, I think it could go higher. I think it could go to 100K, maybe 200K. It's possible, but I don't think it's a good investment. I think it's a cool speculation because, I mean, who knows how high the prices go? You know, who knows how high the prices can go? There's no ceiling. And so it's wonderful for speculation, but... As a long-term investment, I don't think it will do very well uh, because, I mean, I, until it becomes a genuine uh, medium of exchange, there's no way you can value it. And I doubt the government will let Bitcoin compete against, you know, U.S. dollar or countries around the world. I, their governments, I mean, I doubt they'll allow Bitcoin anyways. And we're in a country and we're, we're in a world where we are dependent on countries around the world. And so, I mean, unless if all countries adapt to it, or at least the, the more important exporters adapt to it, then, and, uh, and the more important importers adapt to it, then I don't see how we could use it as a global medium of exchange. 
And I mean, right now it's mostly used for speculation anyways, and not really for buying or selling goods or services. And so I don't see Bitcoin doing too well in the long run, but in the short run, it could go anywhere. So for our other type of investor, which is more the, 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 the investor that is, uh, you know, has some risk tolerance and has, has a pretty good levels of, I don't know, greediness, who, who wants, you know, higher returns and who's willing to, to pay more risk, I guess, to be exposed to more risk doing so. And that's the type who, you know, picks their own stocks, tries to buy low, sell high. And, you know, I think that's the best type. Um, now, of course, some do it better than others. But I, th I feel like that's where the most money is made. Now, it's it's way easier said than done. But in the long run, the most sustainable way to generate above average returns is that way. Now, the, you know, in the short run, you got the speculators who might make a ton of money. But how long can you keep it up? And it's it's hard to say. And so uh, the person who's willing to risk some loss uh, in exchange for a higher return, you know, usually these people are more uh, knowledgeable about the markets. They have more, uh, they have more experience. They have more knowledge and they are able to just understand the cyclicality of sectors and, and of of stocks and of markets and of bonds and they're able to kind of uh, transition from one asset class to the other based off of valuations based off of you know how well they think the asset is going to do you know change sectors maybe pick individual stocks and so when you're doing this, you're 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 gonna get returns that are not you know just as low as an index fund, but at the same time, you're not gonna be exposed to the huge risk that a you know a day trader would be exposed to. And so I, I think that uh, having a balance for risk is is very important.